Patrick Byrne, CEO of Overstock. Thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School Cambridge Leadership Series podcast today. We've just listened to your hour-long lecture to MBA students. How did you predict the future all those years ago? Oh, well, actually, the, to me, the big question is how come I had such a hard time convincing people that, that this was going to happen? Well, I became convinced about three years ago, four years ago, that the regulator of the U.S. capital market was corrupt, or had, at least was co-opted and wasn't doing their job. And then after investigating and, and going down different blind alleys and some fruitful alleys, I'd, uh, I gradually became convinced that we were about to see an enormous train wreck. And indeed, in, in 2006, 2007, Bloomberg, Fox, uh, YouTube, uh, you were ridiculed for saying that, you know, we were about to bottom out. Oh, yeah. And CNBC in particular, if you go on YouTube, you can see these clips where of, of me on Bloomberg and, and CNBC and such, where certainly they were, they were thought I was, I was nuts because I was going on saying, oh, don't you understand? We're about to have a systemic collapse. Yeah. And you foresaw the hedge fund frauds, what was happening to the, the capital markets. And in your lecture, uh, you talked about naked short selling being a crime. Can you just explain some of those concepts to our listeners? Sure. In, when, uh, when you buy stock from me, I take your money and I give you stock. That's called settlement. There are loopholes in the settlement system that let some people, hedge funds, take your money and never actually give you the stock. They're just going to give you IOUs for stock. And you'll never know it. You'll get your brokerage statement from Barclays or Merrill Lynch, and it will say that you have the stock. But the truth is you never received it. Your account never received it. Now, the loopholes were set up for good reason, arguably, to create just a little bit of fault tolerance in the system. If somebody makes a mistake, you don't want the whole system to grind to a halt. What happened is the hedge funds and the prime brokers, Goldman, Morgan, uh, Lehman, etc., figured out that they could manipulate, they could use those loopholes, which were created for some accidental error. They could use those loopholes to flood the market with fake shares. They did flood the U.S. capital market with billions of fake shares that are floating around the system that now nobody really knows who's res- So there's this enormous liability uh, built into the U.S. capital market that I, may be too big to clean up. Okay, so how come that Patrick Byrne, who did a, a degree in philosophy, managed to have this degree of, of foresight, uh, if not sensitivity, and, and futuristic values? Well, I, I, uh, to whom much has been given, much will be asked, I guess. I was, I've been extremely lucky in life. I didn't choose this fight. What actually happened is some very strange-sounding people started getting in touch with me and trying to talk to me about this. It was like that crazy movie, The Omen, where the priest is out there telling Gregory Peck, you know, oh, your son's the devil or something. I had these weirdos calling me and saying, there's this, this thing going on in the market. And I, I wouldn't listen to them for months until finally one of them, very intelligent-sounding guy, said, look, I can tell you don't believe me, so I'm going to make a bunch of predictions. And when these things happen, you call me. And he predicted that you're going to have these four or five journalists call up and do hatchet jobs on you. You're going to become the object of a federal investigation. You're going to become, see your stocks, start having these irregularities. And there's going to be a list published of companies that have this thing going on, and you're going to be on that list. And it came to pass. And, you know, I hate Patrick Byrne. You had, you had an SEC a yeah. subpoena investigation. How did you live through that? Uh, well, actually, I was so mad by that point. I, was, I think it's helped to be, my mom would 
uh, it's helped to be a little stubborn. I'm Irish Catholic, and I'm just kind of, some people would say black Irish is the uh, term we'd use in the States. And I got so ticked off when I saw this stuff happening. I didn't quite understand how big a fight I was getting into, but I just got, I got something of, of a barroom brawl kind of mode. And the more these things happened, the more I got angry enough and said, I'm, I'm going to keep, it, ma- it made me even more determined to, to fight on. Okay, well, let's just cast your mind back a little bit to 2006, 2007. That was a crunch time in the markets, wasn't it? Some began, you had books like Black Swan, some began to see that something was wrong in the markets. Can you remember that morning when you woke up and just thought, I've got to go out and tell people about that? I remember it precisely. I remember it precisely because after this, after this fellow made these four very strange predictions, over the next eight weeks, they all came true. And I remember from my Cambridge philosophy days that you know, philosophy of science is that the, the power of any theory is his ability to make a prediction. And when somebody makes four wild predictions that all come true, it doesn't matter how wacky he says, you got to tune in. So I spent about a month studying and studying this issue, maybe two months, taking time off from work. And I remember the moment, sitting at my desk, when it all clicked. And I said, by God, this is right. This, is, this could be done. This crime that they're explaining could be done. And if it's being done, it means that we're going to eventually, at some point, see an enormous train wreck. But how did it affect share prices? Because initially, all these channels you talk about, from Bloomberg to Fox to YouTube or anything, they ridiculed you. The I hate Patrick Byrne. They said, it can't be true. Right. Well, I I always try to separate it from, I happen to run a company called Overstock.com, and that's why people called me. But I've tried to separate the issue from it's me and Overstock since this thing. Our, I, I was saying this when our stock went up. I was saying it when it went down, when it's gone sideways. We're actually, we're doing okay as a company now. But to me, you know, what I, what I want to say to all those people who challenged me before is just the fact that we're now profitable make me right about everything I was saying? Because when we were losing money, they said, oh, that, that proves I had to be wrong. And I, I would say, look, that's a non sequitur. They too have, just forget, it's not about me, it's not about Overstock. Here's this data that this is going on in the marketplace. So, but they basically, CNBC especially, were, they clogged the discourse by saying, no, this guy has to be wrong because he's losing money. And so to them, I now say, well, now that we're profitable again, does that make me right about everything I was saying? Well, anyway, it's a little bit snarky, but... <laughs> uh, okay, looking to the future now, we have, we've seen several speakers at the Cambridge Leadership uh, Series at the Judge uh, talking ab- about the economy, the world recession, if not a depression we're going into. Where do you stand on that? Do you think there ever is going to be a return to normality? Oh, I think we're about 30% of the way through. I think the thing to watch is not the stimulus plan. This, the, it's the bank rescue plan. That's what it's all going to come down to. And I think that they have a 50 to 70% chance of doing it right. Uh, I think there's basically three outcomes at this point. 30% chance of a, of a Reagan 81-82 recession. 30% chance of a Japanese lost decade. 30% chance of say, a 1929 kind of Great Depression, and maybe a 10% chance of something I call the Mad Max scenario, which or maybe a 5 to 10% chance, which I don't like to dwell on. That's quite an optimistic scenario you paint, that we're going to come out. Well, I, maybe I'm... Uh, 90% chance that we're going to come out at some point. I think that there's a 10% chance 
this is the Mad Max scenario, which means that if we don't get the banking system fixed, and in particular, we've gone from a, from a uh, liquidity crisis to a, to a solvency crisis, uh, I think the U.S. banking system is going to get nationalized. I wish they did it differently than they're doing it. Um, I wish that they weren't creating new uh, bad banks to move the bad assets into. I wish they were creating a new good bank or new good banks starting with the regionals and bulking them up. The Wall Street culture is so toxic, and yet it has captured the American establishment that this is really the opportunity to, to get, let Wall Street get swept away. Uh, so I wish that Obama were taking a slightly different course than he's taking. But I do have, I think, like, I think that there's 50 to 70% chance anyway that we'll come out of this. It may, it's, it may be a two-year thing. It may be a five- or ten-year thing. The Irish Catholic in you, the person who was tenacious and dug in his heels and and kept predicting the future, however unpopular those uh, predictions are, would you do it all again? Well, I would, but I I hated it, I didn't enjoy it, and I wouldn't enjoy it again. I felt duty-bound to do it, and I would do it all again. I'd probably do it a little bit smarter. I had no idea how somebody, an old mentor of mine, a fabulous Wall Street fellow, stopped me after about a year, and we, we happened to cross paths. And he stopped me. He came over. He said, Patrick, it's a really big establishment. And he walked away. <laughs> you kept hitting your head. I could end it there. But let's just have some, a degree of realism. You've sure. been lecturing to MBA students today. How would you advise them to take their careers forward? Well, uh, first of all, ultimately, you want to be your own boss. Warren Buffett says, be your own boss. Work for someone you love and admire your, you know, yourself. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it's probably a little tough. You don't want to do that coming right out of your MBA program. You want to learn on someone else's dime. It's always easier to move from a big business to a small business than vice versa. But I think that you want to stay away from big, especially large financial companies. So looking for a small to mid-sized business where you'll learn a lot. Last piece of advice is judge your job coming out of your MBA program not on how much you're paid, but on what you're going to learn. And the posi- you always choose the position where you're going to learn the most, because in a couple of years at all, your earnings will reflect what you've learned anyway. Patrick Byrne, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School, Cambridge Leadership Series, a podcast today. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you.